I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. From WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio, we're here with something brand new for you, our listeners. For years, you've been asking us for a daily show, and today, we're bringing it. This is Nashville. This is Nashville. This is Nashville, Tennessee. This is Nashville. I can write you a poetic piece about it. <laughs> it's really different, but this is Nashville. This is Nashville. This is Nashville. This is definitely Nashville. Each weekday at noon, meet me right here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org for This is Nashville. We'll go deeper on the news of the day with WPLN reporters and bring you perspectives you didn't know you were missing. Our show will sound different because it is different. We want to make space for those of us most affected by the latest developments in our city and region to bring folks together from diverse backgrounds to engage in dialogue across their differences. Now, when I say we'll go deeper on the news, I'm talking about getting to know our WPLN reporters and their process better like WPLN criminal justice reporter, Samantha Max. We still live in this community where it's not everyone has to deal with gunshots all the time. And it's just really important for me as a reporter to make that urgency known to all of our listeners, to everyone in the community, that we can't turn a blind eye to what's going on in this city. And getting a chance to interview reporters with their sources. Here's WPLN health reporter Blake Farmer with Sarah Dean, who's been working as an ICU nurse throughout the pandemic. When this started, we were it. We were the people in the room holding the iPads, watching a family member take their last breath. And you don't come back from that. And we do it over and over and over and over until finally somebody breaks. Blake, you, you've talked to a lot of nurses in your reporting. Mm. Do you feel like you've been able to fully capture the frustration? No, I mean, not, not even close. I mean, you know, Sarah's the one who, who, who has been in the thick of it. I have been allowed one time into a COVID ICU through this whole pandemic. You can expect raw, real moments just like that every day here on This Is Nashville. Now today, to kick things off, we're going to talk a little bit more about what we're up to. Joining me now to talk about what we've got in store is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Hey, Andrea, how's it going? Going pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So why this show? Why now? Well, WPLN listeners have been asking for a daily show for years, but the station wanted to wait and do it right. Uh, our VP of content, Anita Bug, she wanted to first build up our reporting staff so that the local journalism could really be the heart of the show. And that's exactly what the station has done. Our reporter corps has grown substantially. And then last fall, you and I came on board and picked up the torch. Um, obviously, you and I are both new here. Yes. So we worked hard to hire a team that was representative of old and new, which we'll get into after the break. Mm -hmm. um, we ended up with an incredible team. Producers Tasha, AF Lemley, and Steve Harouche have been here for decades. Um, our technical director, Michaela Elias, graduated from Belmont. Anna Gallegos-Cannon, who's our digital lead, she's been here since 2018. 
And our producer, Rose Gilbert, is also new here, though she grew up just across the state line in Kentucky. So we've got a nice mix on the team. Um, but as for the why now, you know, I really think the timing is right for Nashville. Across the country, it's been a really isolating time. But in this particular moment for Nashville, there's a real hunger for connection. We've talked so much about how we'll make this show different, how we'll sound different. We have a whole hour. The stories that you hear on NPR in the morning, they only just touch the surface. Yeah. We don't really get into the complexity, the mess. You and I have been talking since we started about really leaning into that mess, mm -hmm. really highlighting lived experience, bringing people on to share their actual stories in mm -hmm. their own voices. You know, community is like at the heart of what we're doing here. And to me, it's pretty simple. Without community, we're nothing. I do think it's easy to say that, that you're partnering with community, that community input matters. But we've already really shown it. Our show really wouldn't exist without it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, since we started, we've been out in the community asking really three questions. What do you want people to know about you and your community? What are your hopes? What are your most urgent needs? And also, what do you want out of our new daily show? This was kind of our way of opening those communication lines that we want to keep open mm -hmm. as we as we go forward. Uh, but to really get a sense of of where people are at here in Middle Tennessee. And it's really been such a privilege, um, I think, to spend that time listening. Those are the foundations that we've been laying here. And I want to hone in on on that last question. What do you want out of our daily show? Here's what some of you all shared with us. I want to be interviewed. I want a show that actually comes into the community like you are now and talks to me and those just like me. Creating a place, a safe place that the person that doesn't have a voice can have a voice. Everyday people that work and make this city work. I want personal stories from real people. I'm, I'm a happy person. I like to hear about horses and puppy dogs and kitty cats because they all love each other. <laughs> I think a lot of the news today is is dividing people instead of bringing them together and we just need unity right now. Uh, being able to hear different perspectives will hopefully make us uh, heal and come back together again. I want to hear the truth. I want to hear real conversations, real dialogue. I hope you're interesting. Uh, more than anything else, I just want the show to be interesting. I think I want to connect and feel and know that I relate with other people, to maybe laugh with them or cry with them or be there for them, to hold space for them. I think it's going to be exciting to have that as a ritual every day from noon to one. Ah, I love that idea. A ritual every day from noon to one. Totally. I also love it. At the beginning of that, we heard from Jason Rigel, who we met at Monday Night Jazz at the local distro. He was saying, I want to be interviewed. I want you guys to to be a show that shows up in my community. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. That's how we met him. And that's what I really hope that we keep doing. That's what we plan to keep doing. And it's not just going to be in community outings. We're also hosting um, listening sessions. We want to, again, keep these communication lines open and really get a sense as we go along, what are we doing right? What are we missing? Mm -hmm. that's, that's so important. You know, some of the things that we've heard from people is a real call for highlighting moments of joy which is something that our news director, Emily Seiner, talks about a lot. Yes. We all really want that. Communities have asked us also to highlight um, the people who are really 
making this city run on a day-to-day basis. The stories that we don't hear of the people who really keep this city alive. Obviously, we've said we're both new here, Khalil. I'm just, I know you have been making the rounds since since you started. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know you've got some observations. What stands out to you about Nashville and the things that you've been hearing from the people that you've met so far? You know, the one thing I I hear a lot of is that people are concerned about housing, as that is a major issue. But, you know, I've lived a lot of different places. Born in Jersey, raised just outside of Baltimore, lived in New York. I lived in Los Angeles, lived in New Mexico. And Nashville kind of reminds me of every place. There's little aspects of Nashville that remind me of every place I've lived. But the one thing that's special about Nashville is that most of the people I talk to are concerned about Nashville, you know? Mm -hmm. And if they're new here or they've been here for generations, they have a genuine concern about this place. And I can't say that for other cities that Mm -hmm. I've lived in, you know? And so that makes me feel like being a new person here just because I call this place home now, I am automatically invested in its well-being. Therefore, I'm invested in my neighbor's well-being. I'm invested in a stranger's well-being. And that sense is something that's really growing within me as I talk to folks. And that's special. And it just makes me feel incredibly honored to be here, to meet people in the community, and to be a person who helps facilitate these conversations between folks. I just love what you just said about feeling like this is a place that reminds you of all of the places you've been. Mm-hmm. I have also lived in a lot of cities and I, and I feel that too. And I think it's because of the the variety of people that make up this town Yeah, and the constant change. Yeah. Anita Smith used to live here in Nashville until she was priced out. She lives in Pulaski now and she has been homeless and is a survivor of domestic violence. Here she is sharing a little bit of what she hopes we can do with our show. And when you're talking about the great city of Nashville, there are so many people that just don't have the information. This platform right here, I hope it's a, it's a place where they can get information. It's a place that they, they can see the similarities with even in themselves. Then they can uh, pick up the torch and run with it. They can see that this person got on their feet and they ran with it and they, they are now uh, gainfully employed are, are they now have housing because they did the steps but it's so many people that you know they need help they need help out there and so this this platform hopefully will reach the people for the people so much of what Anita shared with us stands out to me but it's this idea of dedicating our platform to reaching the people for the people mm-hmm. that really speaks to me And it's something that we've been talking about so much, wanting our show to be a public service. We want to approach the topics and center the lived experience of the people who are most affected by the topics that we cover Mm -hmm. and also focus on generating resources. One of the first things that I learned here is that there seems to be an information deficit, mm. that that learning and knowing how to live in this city, how to advocate for yourself is really hard. Uh, we had a listening session uh, in the fall, early on when we were still planning this concept. One of our guests was Cherokee activist and historian Albert Bender, who's joining us uh, later on in the show. Yes. He challenged us to create and present a record, to lay out the history of this place. And then Melody Fowler-Green, who uh, was also with us, she talked about a lack of record keeping at the local government. 
we, we want to lay out who has done the work, what resources exist, and round those up for people with our show as much as possible. That is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope, who's about to jump out of the guest chair and back into the control room to put on her director's hat. She wears it well, everybody. Trust me. Andrea, I will see you on the other side of the glass in a few, okay? Thanks, Khalil. Thank you. You're listening to the first episode of WPLN's brand new daily show, This is Nashville. Coming up. Everybody here needs to know, everybody who lives in modern Nashville needs to know that there was a huge, huge Native American city here that encompassed tens of thousands of inhabitants from 900 years ago. Stay with us. This is Nashville. This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil E. Colonna. For months, our team has been out in the community getting to know more about you, what your hopes are, what are your most urgent needs. Whether you're brand new here, like me, or you've been here for generations, our city and region are constantly evolving, which is why we're taking the time to learn and see this city through your eyes. This is Nashville. What is Nashville? <laughs> it's just a big little city. We're more than just country music. It's music city now, you know what I mean? Nashville is pretty good. Music town, I like it. There are, there's some amazing people in Nashville. It's a southern city with a lot of history, culture, and character, and it has the potential to really be a transformative visionary city that creates a beloved community. But um, you see a lot of folks that are sleeping on these tables, park benches, and it makes you just go, shoo, boy, am I grateful. There's still too many people left behind. My beloved adopted city sometimes breaks my heart. I just really believe that I'm supposed to be here in Nashville again. And there's not anything that I can afford. Nashville, I wouldn't want to move anywhere else. I would not want to live anywhere else other than where I'm at now in Nashville. I went to Ohio. I went to South Carolina. Yeah, I say my Nashville is better. <laughs> oh, man, Nashville's everything to me. I was born here. My family's from here, and I am proud to be from here. I'm proud of the lessons I've learned, and I learned them in Nashville. Where is there a better place? Where is there a better place? That last voice you heard was Robert Crawford. But not everyone shares Robert's enthusiasm. It's no secret that Nashville is at a crossroads. Old versus new, that has always been the theme when change is afoot. From the ever-expanding downtown skyline to that new crop of tall and skinnies that I swear seems to be popping up overnight. It's happening right before our eyes. But more than anything, it's the people of Nashville that are changing. Nearly 400,000 people have moved to Middle Tennessee over the past decade. That is a lot of new folks, including me. With so much growth, what's at risk of being forgotten? We're bringing in three people who think a lot about where we've come from and where we're going as a city. Albert Bender is a Cherokee activist whose historical knowledge goes far, far back. Dilman Yassin is a Kurdish refugee who's seen how an entire community of newcomers can become an integral part of the city. And our first guest, David Steele Ewing. 
He's a ninth generation Nashvillian and historian who also runs the Instagram account, The Nashville I Wish I Knew. David, welcome to This Is Nashville. Khalil, welcome to Nashville, and I'm happy that you're making your kind of equivalent of an Opry debut right here on WPLN. Oh, well, thank you very much. I hope I hope I can hit all the notes, let's say. So you're a ninth-generation Nashvillian. Those are some serious deep roots. Tell me about your family. My family came over with the first settlers of Nashville, James Robertson and John Donaldson, and they were enslaved. So the first three generations were enslaved. We were enslaved at the Hermitage. We were enslaved at Traveler's Rest. And my great-great-grandfather, Prince Albert Ewing, became the first black lawyer in Nashville Mm. in 1871. He was sent to Fisk University. And the family's been here ever since. How were you able to trace your family lineage back that far? We have family reunions, and I'm lucky to have lots of cousins here in Nashville, particularly in the Hermitage area. My family cousins have still lived on Tulip Grove Road since 1871 on the same plot of land hmm. that my great-great-grandfather purchased after uh, emancipation. Wow, that's, that's li- living history for you all. Nashville's changed a lot, but some things don't change. Now, for a lot of African Americans, it's really tough to trace our past. The records just don't exist, right? We do have Ancestry.com right now, but Alex Haley taught us to talk to the elders in your family, oral history, stories that get passed down from generation to generation, and also look at your church archives, too. And now in my meetings, in my outings and meeting and talking to people, there's a lot of conversation about old Nashville. Now, we know that means a lot of different things to different people. But what about you? What about good old Nashville? What does that mean to you? So I grew up in Nashville, and as you mentioned, my Instagram page, The Nashville I Wish I Knew, to me, old Nashville are places that don't exist anymore that people remember, like the Opryland theme park, the restaurant Houston's, Candyland, just old buildings that we've torn down. And so when people get reminiscent about old Nashville, they just remember kind of a time and a place that's not around anymore. You know, if you can't afford to live in Nashville, are we losing the people that grew up here or their parents were here and grandparents were here? And the architecture. I love old buildings and historic preservation. And it seems like the tall and skinnies that you mentioned, a lot of those are being built where old houses are being built. Mm -hmm. And we need to preserve that. You know, the reason that people move to Nashville is because they like the coolness and the authenticity of Nashville. And we can't wipe that all away. Now, let's talk about Instagram for a minute. We're going to go to IG. Your account, the Nashville I Wish I Knew, is kind of like a virtual antique shop crossed with a museum exhibit. You've got almost 23,000 followers, so clearly you're doing something right. I'm curious, what posts are people most drawn to when they look at your account? People love anything with Opryland theme park and, of course, Dolly Parton. I just recently posted a picture of Dolly Parton and Captain Kangaroo from 1976. I I roll with Captain Kangaroo. She was on his show a couple times. And, you know, it's just that nostalgia. Who doesn't like Dolly? And, you know, Dolly is still part of Nashville and Opryland is not the theme park. But, you know, I think a lot of people just look at the page to see old buildings and restaurants and just kind of how Nashville was and to hold on to that part as, you know, their city changes literally by the day. I would rather be growing than not. You Mm -hmm. know, there's some cities that have boarded up downtown windows that have fewer population than they used to. You know, we're growing. We just got to figure out how to grow and how to really be the authentic city that everyone used to love. 
So we met with Jason Rigel at Monday Night Jazz at the local distro. Jason's the owner of Guidance Whiskey, and we asked him what he wanted people to know about him and his community. Oh, I want them to know more about it. <laughs> Start there. Um, our community is a special one. It's one that's historic to this city, and I think that if we can start to get to know each other better, take a little bit, a bit more time and slow down, ask more questions, I think you can see that there's a lot of communities in Nashville that are special and that are making the city what it is today. That right there really speaks to what we've been talking about, that there are so many different kinds of communities that make up Nashville. Our next guest doesn't have nine generations in Nashville, but her journey was not an easy one. Dilman Yassin, welcome to This Is Nashville. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, your family is originally from Kurdistan. So tell me, how did you make your way all the way here to Nashville? Yeah, so um, I was born in Kurdistan, um, and soon after, um, the Gulf War started. And that's when Saddam Hussein um, uh, started a mass genocide on the Kurdish population in Iraq. And so my family, along with thousands and thousands of others, um, made their way on foot to Turkey. And we lived in a refugee camp for about four years or so. Um, after the refugee camp, things kind of tied down a little bit, and we were given the opportunity to come to America um, in 92, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so in 92, we left Turkey, we left the refugee camps and made our way to Boise, Idaho. Um, my entire extended family was able to all come together. So Boise was where we settled. Um, soon after we found out that Nashville had a really large Kurdish community, obviously not as large as it is today. Um, however, it was much larger than where we were. Uh, so we, we made the trip to Nashville and have called it home since about 96 or 97. You know, my family, my parents came here with, you know, little to nothing and as did many other Kurdish families, um, you know, without the knowledge of the language or the culture or really anything else. And so as I was learning as a child, as my siblings were learning, my parents were learning at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember having to, you know, do a lot of things that most adults did at a younger age, just because I had access to education and, you know, I was learning English much faster than they were. Um, but I do remember a lot of really great times as well. I, you know, coming to America as an immigrant um, can be very daunting, um, but my parents made sure that we had uh, everything that we needed um, despite their uh, lack of resources or lack of uh, the language skills. Now tell us, what do you want people to know about the community here? I want people to know that although we are a huge immigrant community, um, we're so much more than that. We're clinicians, engineers, educators, service workers, business owners, and really good neighbors. Um, and I think that it's important for us to be part of bigger discussions that make Nashville as amazing as it is. I understand you're a data analyst by trade. Kurdish people are basically invisible when it comes to the city's official demographics. Can you talk about that? Yeah, not only the cities, the state as well as federal. Um, traditionally, Kurds, Arabs, Persians, and other Middle Eastern communities have been listed under the white category when it comes to, mm. um, you know, filling out paperwork or any sort of applications. 
Um, according to the Arab American Institute, Arab Americans alone account for 3.7 million Americans. This was a study done a few years ago, actually. So the number has probably increased. Mm -hmm. And that includes Kurds and Persians. Um, so when lawmakers look at this data for Middle Eastern community members, they use collective averages rather than paying attention to important group differences. And so this can be a bit deceiving. Um, in my opinion, if a Middle Eastern North African uh, MENA census category was included in race questions, we would approach a fuller count of MENA populations in our community and better enable them to have access to the resources that they need. It's, it's a little upsetting because a lot of these MENA communities have been in the U.S. for so long. I mean, we're talking 30, 40 plus years, mm -hmm. and yet we're still listed under the white category. We're not benefiting anything from the white category, from being under the white category, if anything. Um, and so our, you know, our representation of our community is, is not visible at all. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WPLN's This Is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil Le Colonna. This hour, we've been exploring this explosive moment for Nashville, navigating between the old and the new. I'd like to introduce our next, next guest, Albert Bender. Albert is a Cherokee activist with the American Indian Coalition and an attorney. Mr. Bender, thank you for being with us. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Now, Albert, you're a historian like David. So when we talk about the history of Middle Tennessee, what are we missing? Well, I think what is being missed is in terms of the educational processes in the school systems in terms of how history is portrayed. Is that when the first settlers came here in 1779, the white settlers, they were coming to an area that had been inhabited by indigenous people for 14,000 plus years. Approximately a thousand years ago, Nashville had the largest indigenous population in the entire Southeast. It was an area of enormous uh, Native American uh, populations living in a variety of different ancient cities, villages, towns, hamlets, and farmsteads. Ancient Nashville, and I use the term ancient Nashville, had a population of 400,000 Native American people, and the population of modern Nashville did not eclipse the population of ancient indigenous Nashville until the 1960s. But I think that Everybody here needs to know, everybody who lives in modern Nashville needs to know that there was a huge, huge Native American city here that encompassed tens of thousands of inhabitants of 900 years ago. So when you look around our city today, what do you see? Well, I see a city that is growing and I have to be quite frank, I think it, in some ways it's growing too fast because the infrastructure that exists in Nashville is not catching up with the population explosion, with the entertainment explosion, with the industrial development explosion. And I think that in order to maintain Nashville and the quality of life in Nashville that attracts so many people to this area yeah. that there needs to be a balance, so to speak, 
and so that the city, in many ways, does not get ahead of itself. You know, in my outings, really meeting the community, as Andrea and I talked about in the top of the show, that is one thing that I've continued to hear, is that they, people are not upset with the growth, but they feel like the growth is happening too fast, too quickly, and maybe it would be best for the city to slow down a little bit to consider it. Um, I want to ask you, you've been speaking out about the development of the East Bank. Tell me, what are you concerned about with that? What the Native community is concerned about in terms of the East Bank is that the proposed development on the East Bank, Oracle and other large corporations, does not happen so fast that an erasure of ancient Indian history does not take place. Modern Nashville sits atop an ancient, ancient Native American city. And this is all of downtown Nashville. And in fact, on the other side of the Cumberland River, the East Bank was also where the ancient city uh, sits. In order for there to be an appropriate preservation of ancient Native American history that everybody can appreciate, there needs to be a slowdown of the development of the East Bank to the extent that archaeological research can be done so that all Nashvillians, all Tennesseans, in fact, the nation as a whole, can appreciate the brilliant and advanced Native American cultures and civilizations that existed here hundreds of years ago. You know, to me, part of that appreciation comes to recognizing that there's different groups of Native Americans who made up ancient Nashville. Can you talk to me about the different members of the Native American community from back then, as opposed to who's coming here now? Well, it could have been a multi-tribal, multi-ethnic type of Native American community. Mm -hmm. In other words, made up of the ancestors of the different southern tribes, historic tribes that exist today, including uh, Cherokees, Creeks, Choctaws, Seminoles, and Chickasaws. And that is replicated today in terms of the Native American people who live here at the present time. You have Native American uh, citizens from tribes all over the country that live here in the Nashville area, and they are attracted, are brought to the Nashville area by a lot of things that are in common that attract other people of other nationalities to the area. Okay, I'm a transplant, and one thing I hear a lot about is that with the, all the new folks like me don't run into many people who were actually born and raised in Nashville. Well, A.J. Starling was born in 1949, so he's definitely got some perspective. He's also secretary-treasurer of the Tennessee AFL-CIO. Let's hear what he has to say. Nashville has really, really grown. I remember when the Grand Ole Opry was downtown and people were lined up on Broadway coming to see the Grand Ole Opry, so I'm dating myself here. But do we need change? Absolutely. But well, there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance where people that are less fortunate than myself and trying to stay in their homes can stay there, can have affordable housing. I think that's the piece that we are missing. 
we want to keep our integrity. We want to grow. But there's got to be a balance somewhere. So that's another word I've heard a lot in my conversations, balance. Question for you, Dillman. I want to start with you. How do we strike that balance? And also, what happens if we don't? Hey, Dillman. Hi there. Hi. Yeah, sorry, I was having some connection issues. No, but you're with us now, and that's what's beautiful yes. about this whole thing. So how do we strike this balance? What happens if we don't strike a balance with the old and new Nashville and all of this change? Um, well, I think if we don't strike a balance, um, a lot of voices that are really important and that could help benefit Nashville would be left out. Um, I think it's really important to consider that, especially coming from immigrant communities, um, they have a lot to offer. And I think it's important to include them in those conversations. David? I think you need to get everyone involved. That's the political community. That's the not-for-profit community, the business community. We all are in the same boat and we want to make our city the best it could be. But if we're leaving just large swaths of people behind, we just become a New York or a San Francisco, and it's not the charming Nashville we grew up in. Albert, I'd like to end with you. Well, I think that when you use the term balance, I think that's very appropriate, that there needs to be a balance. And I would agree with what was just said in terms of bringing all people on board in terms of working through uh, the Metro Council representatives and the like, because otherwise you will have a city that will unfortunately replicate other cities in which people are left behind. And when people are left behind, that just makes for a conflict. In other words, for people to work together and become a part of the balance that will move the city forward and move the city forward in an acceptable way that will be productive to all Nashvillians. That was Albert Bender. Thank you, Albert and Dilman Yassin, for joining us. David, hang with us through the break. You're listening to the first episode of WPLN's brand new daily show, This is Nashville. Coming up. There's not many places or cities that you can go to when you've got about 25 bars and a couple block radius. Stay with us and hit us up anytime at This is Nashville on Twitter. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been reflecting this hour on our roots with a ninth-generation Nashvillian and a Cherokee historian, because it's not a complete look at our history if it doesn't include our native past. From where we've been to what we're becoming, we're bridging the gap between so-called old Nashville and new Nashville and looking at how our city is changing right before our eyes. Now, new Nashville might call to mind something like this. These girls are ready to party. They are tearing it up. Every which way my head turns, there's a different batch doing something else that I don't want to see. Drink up, ladies. Bachelorette Weekend was a hit reality TV show about, you guessed it, the bachelorette party scene in Nashville. Our next guest had a little something to do with this in a past life. Joining us now is Rosa Castano. She's a mindfulness coach who also knows how to throw a party. Rosa, welcome to This is Nashville. 
Hi, happy to be here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Now, when I talk to people about the direction our city is heading, one complaint I hear about is all the bachelorettes tearing it up downtown in Airbnbs around Nashville. So, Rosa, not too long ago, you were the sales director at Batch Weekend, a company that organizes bachelorette and bachelor parties. What do you say to those folks who see bachelorettes as a plague on the city? It is such a catch-22. They were coming here originally. You know, I would say kind of our, our Batch Weekend heyday was probably about five years ago or so. And they were coming because... It is about an eight-hour driving distance with uh, from over 50% of the U.S. Hmm. And at the time then especially, it was pretty affordable. It was a place that, you know, people from the Midwest would save up and come here. They, they saw it on TV. Um, it's such an anomaly. There's not many places or cities that you can go to and you've got about 25 bars and a couple block radius. So it was a place to come have fun. Um, I think that as Airbnb became more popular to speak to that um, specifically, it, it was a way that people saw an opportunity to make money, especially in a city that was getting to be more and more expensive. And I think that's a little bit where the city is having to play catch up, you know, with regulations on where can, there can be Airbnbs, what are some um, sound ordinances and things like that. But I was reading an article today that the city put out about um, what they jokingly call transportainment specifically, and they see that kind of as um, that is an example of needing to have better restrictions, that it was started off as a good idea, but then it became too much. Now, I've run into some bachelorettes having a good time on their transportainment vehicles. I don't really see much of a problem with it. Women are wanting to have fun. Yes, celebrate, let loose. You're about to get married. Your best friend's about to get married. Let's let's pop some champagne and take shots. It's not a problem. But other people seem to have a bit of an issue with that. In your experience in talking to folks about what you used to do for a living, like what were those conversations like? The biggest conversations were honestly just traffic backup. Um, they are slow, move, uh, slower moving vehicles. Now there are more that are buses before it was the tractors. It was the pedal taverns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, things are moving a little bit quicker, but it was mainly just the congestion. Um, okay. Cause from what I saw, you know, boots on the ground, people had so much fun interacting with them. Like you said, they're, they're having a good time. And I think nobody wants to be judged on the, um, you know, their, kind of craziest or worst version of themselves. You know, I think most people, at least the ones that we encountered were respectful, enjoyed the city, was so excited to come here and learn and just really see what Nashville was all about. I'm telling you, I don't want to be judged on my worst night or at least my worst party night. Trust me. I want to avoid that. (laughs) Exactly. So we have to give them a little bit of grace. Yes. You've also worked in the Convention and Visitors Bureau to basically sell Nashville to potential tourists, right? Yes. What was the elevator pitch like? Uh, Honestly, it was very easy. Most people absolutely loved Nashville. Mm. So it wasn't that hard of a sell. Um, We've got amazing things that have been added to the landscape that I think were much needed. For example, um, you know, the revitalization of that space over by um, the old 
convention center. You know, we have uh, the Fifth and Broadway complex that has had the amazing National Museum of African American Music in there. It's had a possibility for more restaurants for student groups to go in where that wasn't a space before. Um, and as someone who grew up here in Nashville, it's been really fun to be able to see the growth, but with the growth comes the discomfort. It is a delicate balance of, you know, being, being excited about the growth and seeing it happen because it's, it's good for us all. It brings in incredible dollars that have really, really helped the infrastructure in the city, which we are still needing a lot more progress on. Um, but I think overall it's been, um, it's been done well. David Steele Ewing is still with us. David, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. What about the tourism boom? In your view, what is the effect it's had on the city as a whole? It's just brought more people here every day. Everything just kind of went crazy in 2013 when the New York Times said that we were the It City. Mm-hmm. We had the television show Nashville. And just, you know, nowadays we get before COVID 16, 17 million people a year visiting Nashville. Wow. If you came to Nashville 50, 70 years ago, there are only a few things to see. You could see Andrew Jackson's home. You could see the Parthenon. You could see the old Fort Nashville. That was about it. But now there are all sorts of museums and live music venues and world-class restaurants. I think that's what changed in 2013 to make the New York Times crown us as its city. We finally had world-class restaurants that people from the East Coast and West Coast would come here and say, this is just as good or maybe even better than some of the restaurants we have at home. And satisfy the food snobs and suddenly you see yourself shoot up to the top of lists. But let me ask you, you mentioned that, you know, you gave the numbers pre-pandemic. Do you think once the pandemic abates, Nashville can bounce back? Do you think it'll level out to the same or will it explode even more? Oh, 2022, we're already, I think, breaking records. If you talk to the bar owners on Lower Broadway, the hotels, people are filling back up. You know, Nashville is just on the move and, you know, it's going to be a record year. Okay, we're going to see. Rosa, I think some folks who saw you on the reality TV show Bachelor at Weekend might be surprised to hear that you're a mindfulness coach now. Now, look, I'm not surprised. But really, how did you end up to where you are now? After doing the TV show, got a little bit of taste of just how that world was. And I wasn't um, as interested in that. Um, I spent a few years working at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And then my story ends and also begins like many others. We had to do the COVID pivot because of um, the pandemic. Job positions were eliminated. No tourism, no tourism department, unfortunately. And so I took a hard look at the things that I liked in the corporate world and the things that I didn't like. Um, I've been in that world for 15 years and I saw that there was a big need for wellness and well-being, just giving people that space to be able to bring in stress management, cultivating resilience in the workplace, unless they have that own practice themselves. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing all these articles about burnout being an all-time high, especially in, in Nashville here, tourism and hospitality. The burnout is really huge because we've got the staffing shortages and people are being overworked worked. And um, it's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. And so I just wanted to do my part of all of my studies. I'm a certified uh, meditation and mindfulness teacher, as well as a yoga teacher. And I just wanted to take all of those elements and how I applied them into my life and knowing that corporate world and marry them together to be able to help bring um, balance and well-being into a place that is desperately in need for it. 
bachelorette to mindfulness industry pipeline, y'all. You heard it here first. (laughs) If you're just joining us, you're listening to WPLN's This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. Today, we have been exploring this explosive moment for Nashville, navigating between the old and the new. Our next guest has a real interest in where our city is headed because he's about to graduate from Big Picture High School, Jalen Hayes. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here. I just hope that you're not going to get detention for talking to us in the middle of the day. (laughs) <laughs> no, they trust me. They've been uh, coming in here and popping in on me. So I'm I'm good. <laughs> OK, now talk to me about what you think about this place. This is the city you grew up in. What do you think about how it's changing? Well, um, growing up in Nashville and also hearing the stories that my mom uh, tells me all the time about kind of like how you all have touched on here about Opryland um, and a lot of great other things. I... I'm really not for the direction that Nashville is going into. I definitely love mm-hmm. to see, um, you know, of course, the beautiful skyline and new skyscrapers. But as far as digging deep into um, our neighborhoods and where there's a lot of rich Black history, um, I don't think that is fair for um, a lot of our people to be displaced and um, having to be forced out of their own homes and neighborhoods. Um, I definitely feel as though Nashville doesn't pay enough attention to that. Um, And again, there's just knowing the history of the Fist Jubilee singers here in Nashville um, and just knowing you've had a lot of great people live here and come from Nashville. It's like, where's the culture? Um, When you go to places like Atlanta, there's culture there. Mm -hmm. There's black culture. Um, it's very diverse, but here in Nashville, it's just one thing. It's just country music. You have to go find um, black music and black art in certain spaces um, instead of it being on like Broadway. Um, for the first time, we have Slim and Huskies, which is a black owned uh, restaurant on Broadway, which is something major for a lot of black people here in Nashville. Now, Marilyn Maat is a singer-songwriter who grew up here in Nashville. We met Marilyn at Monday Night Jazz at the local distro. We asked her about her hopes for the future. Okay, my hopes for the future for Nashville is that everybody has a place and that nobody gets left behind. It's growing so fast. Born and raised in Nashville, like I've, people look at me as if I don't belong here. New people. They look at certain people as if they do not belong, like they don't fit the Nashville mold. Nashville is music city, period. Period. Regardless of genre, regardless of style, regardless. I'm a black artist, I do pop music. And people don't think that people that look like me sound like me. Now, Jalen, I want to ask you this, because you're a musician. Have you ever felt this type of tension? I've definitely felt that type of tension that, um, especially with creating music at Pearl Cone High School here in Nashville, um, sometimes we are singing there, we're like, okay, are people actually gonna listen to this? Especially here in Nashville, how do we get people to listen to this? What are people's interests nowadays? Are people going to sit on Broadway and listen to R&B music? Which I'm pretty sure they will, but again, when you look at um, the dynamics of Broadway, 
nowadays, you don't really see a lot of African-Americans on lower Broadway unless they're going to the African-American Music Museum or going to visit like Slim Huskies and things like that. But um, honestly, as far as the African-American Music Museum, I definitely, I can see hope within um, bringing back that Black music here in Nashville, the blues, um, things in that nature, because that museum is dead smack <laughs> in Broadway. It's yeah. downtown. Yeah. You have no choice but to look at it. Um, so I definitely feel like that's that's greatness in the making. I can see some hope in Nashville, but then again, it's, it's, it's very scary. Just being in North Nashville, where my grandmother lives, um, when you step out of our gate, it's people staring at you. Like, what are you doing over here? Mm. <laughs> You're seeing all of these different homes that are just unfamiliar to you. Um, and it kind of makes you feel very uncomfortable in a way. That is Jalen Hayes. We want to thank everyone who joined us this hour for our very first episode. This is Nashville, and I'm Robert Crawford. This is Nashville, and I'm Natasha Wilson. This is Nashville. I am Nagarajan. I'm in Nashville. I'm in Najat Azizam. This is Nashville, and I'm Kay Higgs. And I'm Raven Nye. April Frazier, come on. I am Lamar T. Wilson. John Taylor. And I am Marilyn Ma'a. Chris Scott Peaslewitz. Christopher J. Floor. And I am Javana Hema. Many thanks to our friend Mickey Justice on the Irish Bazooki, y'all. Super shout out to you, my man. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of This Is Nashville. I'd love to give you a little taste of what's to come. Tomorrow, we'll talk housing for the unhoused and why that's such a long road. Thursday is the two-year anniversary of the March 2020 tornado. What's changed since? More importantly, what hasn't? And Friday, it's Nashville Nightlife, baby. Who makes it run and who is it for? This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme song are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to all the folks we've met in the community over the past six months. We want to hear from you, too. Hit us up online where you'll find our email and a quick survey for you. Tweet us at This Is Nashville to keep the conversation going, because guess what? This is just the beginning. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.